welcome back to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch. This season, we're talking to digital growth and demand gen marketers about how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. I'm Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Gen here at Notch. Welcome back to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch. To our loyal listeners, a quick introduction since I'm new around here. I'm Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Generation here at Notch. This season, I interviewed digital growth and demand gen marketers about how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. Before we dive in, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes this season with interviews from marketers at Chili Piper, Gong, Stack Overflow, TalkDesk, Dooley, Jobvite, and more. We're also launching our data-driven CMO mini-series, where you can listen in on Notch CEO Anda Ganska in conversation with CMOs from some of the most influential brands. It's all happening right here. In this very first episode, I spoke with Brandy Sanders, VP of Growth at Observe AI. I'm kicking the season off with this conversation because Brandy has been connecting marketing programs to revenue data for years, looking beyond MQLs and Madman Creative to tie initiatives to ROI and revenue data in order to prove the value of her team and marketing's contribution to the business. It's a theme each of this season's episodes will anchor into and one that should set the tone for a growth marketer's work. I'm glad you're here. Now, on with the show. Really quick, do me a favor and check if you are subscribed so you don't miss any episodes this season. We'll have interviews with marketers from Chili Piper, Gong, Stack Overflow, and more. Hello, and welcome back to this episode of Pros and Content. It is our first one of this new season, and I am really excited to welcome Brandy Sanders. Hi, Brandy. Hi, very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me kick this off like a rock star. (laughs) I'm so excited. I am excited to dig into your story. I'm excited to hear a little bit more about you, just excited all around. So why don't you start? I'm leading the witness a little bit. Why don't you tell me how you got from sewing some creative costumes to VP of Demand Generation at Observe AI? Oh my gosh. Well, it is a non-traditional path. Most folks in tech tend to come from the Stanford background, but while they were in CS250, I was doing Shakespeare and studying music and being a professional performer across all different types of multimedia for a long time. I don't want to date myself, but it's when MTV still played music videos. (laughs) Carson Daly was still doing the show above Times Square. Yeah, I started off more on the creative marketing side. So I worked across multimedia, film, television, theater, off-Broadway, you name it, New York City and L.A., and started looking at different ways to create passive income. And e-commerce was just coming out. It was like this new thing. Etsy was being born. I had a lot of friends in Dumbo in Brooklyn. We were all makers, right? And creative folks. So (laughs) from the tech world. But I ended up starting to create these wonderful costumes and to do a lot of repurposed work that led me to start an online store. Now, did I know anything about technology, e-commerce? Did I know about meta descriptions, DSL photography, or Google Analytics, or SEO? Absolutely not. No, I knew none of that. I was completely self-taught. And really, my selfish motivation for this was to be able to create a revenue stream while I was auditioning and doing all the really fun creative stuff when I was younger. And that led me to get really good at e-commerce. And by proxy, I started to become really data literate. I got into marketing, I got into activating loyalty programs, and that led into things like demand gen. And then lo and behold, many years and many iterations and roles later, 
I'm now VP of demand generation with Observe AI. It's a paper airplane (laughs) thrown from the top of the Empire State Building that zigs through all five boroughs before coming back to Manhattan. But it's just been an extraordinary journey. And I'm actually very grateful being able to kind of have the creative background, which is wonderful for traditional marketing, storytelling, engaging an audience, really kind of painting the emotional stage for the human experience and how we digest and live in a world full of marketing and dimension. And then the other half, which was born out of pure grit and determination, that is a very empirical data-driven mindset because you tend to be either all right brain or all left brain. And I'm really lucky and fortunate that my experiences and the people I've had the great ability to work with and collaborate with across all these different mediums from B2B to D2C to SaaS and AI, et cetera, have led me down this path to VP Dimension. It's just been kind of a completely unpredictable journey, but the past decade alone, as I've really lived in this SaaS space and the startup space has just been an extraordinary journey. So I'm very, very excited to share all of the delightful failures and wonderful bits of success and lessons learned the hard way for both the creative types and then those who are more in kind of the traditional demand gen and data side. I love that. I think it's something too that'll resonate with a lot of marketers is that some of us come from more of a journalistic background or we were designers or whatever it might be. Now we find ourselves in what is it a very increasingly data-driven world Or if we came from advertising and it's very Mad Men and now it's like suddenly you've got to prove what you're actually doing is working in different ways. Mad Men thing, I think we might have discussed it earlier, but marketing from a traditional sales perspective, especially in startup world, marketing was always like, you know, and you look at like corporate bro who I really love, Chris Walker with Fine Labs. And it's like marketing is always the world of like berets and like sketchbooks, right? We're over here just like sketching wonderful creative ideas and coming up with pretty (laughs) pictures or like email headers. It's really detached from revenue, which for me, a modern demand gen and marketing person Revenue is how I measure what we do. So marketing sourced opportunity and revenue versus inquiries and leads and MQLs, which are just like top of funnel metrics that traditionally marketers have coasted on that has been really segregated from sales. So the way that I look at it now is it's no longer the world of Mad Men. Although I love the fashion choices and I'm here for the hairstyles and lipsticks, we're no longer just like sketching cool ideas and creating random landing pages. We're talking about programmatic go-to-market motions And measuring that funnel efficacy, pipeline velocity, marketing sourced revenue, really full funnel, even dual and dark views on all of that attribution wise. So different paradigm shift, even in the past five to 10 years, especially. And COVID, ironically, I think also kind of accelerated that because you can no longer just kind of like work the floor in the office. You have to have provable efficacy for everything that you're doing. And data is at the heart of that. I think that's spot on and agree that it's been accelerated in the last so many years. I want to understand though, because you've been doing this tying from your marketing into revenue for a while. What was it that made you dig a little deeper from the MQL, from those top level metrics? Yeah, for a very long time, I would say I operated as a traditional marketer, right? I didn't really know any better. I came in from the digital marketing side. So snuck in through creative because of the e-commerce stuff, right? Where it was more like photography and SEO and things like that. And then got kind of that string led to another string, activating loyalty campaigns, marketing, evangelism. And that string led into top of funnel go-to-market motion. So basically demand gen and lead gen and coming in and really kind of penetrating your ICP your core people that you know have the highest level of confidence to close deals. And so what I realized was is that at the superficial level, like inquiries and MQLs is like a safe space. 
because you're not really tied to revenue. I don't want to say it's very easy because some marketer somewhere is going to definitely like give me some hate mail over this. But look, if you have a webinar and you have content downloads, it's not difficult to hit your top of funnel metrics. Inquiry, leads, MQLs, events, webinars, trades, you get the list, you upload it. Look, there's your numbers. But what I got involved with was a couple of years ago, really, I think over the past like five to seven, maybe even eight or 10 years, I don't want to date myself too hard. But that past decade has really shifted from inquiry, leads, and MQLs into the world of meeting set, SQLs, and close one that is marketing sourced revenue attributed, right? So I think for me, it came when we had a series of layoffs that came during a crazy time. And it's so funny because here we are yet again in a bizarre twist of fate with the economic situation where everyone's thinking about have count and there are layoffs left and right. And for me, it's like data defends what marketing does, which is often portrayed as like soft or disposable, right? And so I started getting into the mindset of like, how can I look at my team that I'm managing? How can we protect the work that we're doing and explain to sales that we are generating that revenue? Like we're giving them opportunities and at-bats more and more. And that was where data really became an integrated part of everything we do. If we couldn't measure it, we're not doing it. Making sure that everything that we're doing is tied to the idea of not just leads and inquiries and, you know, MQLs and all that top of funnel, but really like what's the percentage of your hero pipeline, like your high intent revenue, right? You want to make sure that they're closing quarter over quarter over quarter at a higher number. Like you want that closed one rate to go up and you want your pipeline velocity, i.e. days to close deal to go down. And when you really start to dig into that, you realize I personally would rather have 10 SQLs that close at 100% close one with a higher average deal size than like, you know, a thousand that only close at like 0.00000% and the average deal size is very low because it creates an inflated pipe. It creates a lower close one ratio if you're skewing the metrics with like a bunch of what I'll call like junk. And sales, it also violates that relationship with them because if you've never been the type of marketer who sat across from a traditional sales rep, and I did sales for more than a decade, so I know this from experience, they don't have a lot of trust in marketing or demand gen. And when numbers are down, there's a panic button that gets hit and there's an emotional response, right? Like the volume is down. The volume coming down and the quality going up, i.e. the close one rate, pipeline velocity going down, cost per lead coming down, cost to acquire going down, average deal size going up. These are all things that are showing like you're hitting your core ICP and over time, incrementally, that staircase starts to appear where that growth goes up. So it's really investing in the long game and being able to not have them say, oh, these leads are crap, which if you're right. a type of marketer who's never heard that, then God bless you because you've really dodged a bullet. <laughs> but I think most marketers have like these leads are shit. They're no good. These aren't quality. Why are you giving me these? But when you remove the junk and the volume mm-hmm. comes down and it's only core ICP, what was 100 junk leads that kept the calendars busy and people on calls? becomes like five meetings a month, but all five meetings show up and all five meetings move to RFP or become a potential opportunity. It's a very different way of operating. And it shows key things like you're not removed from revenue. You can't hide behind MQLs forever. It puts you out on the chopping block, if I'm being quite frank, in this particular economic situation. If you're not tied to revenue, it's disposable. And I think that for me personally, those economic factors many, many years ago and seeing my team at risk for that really put it into gear that like, look, it can't just be about top of funnel. It has to be about closed one, marketing sourced revenue, hero pipeline confidence to go to closed one. So less noise, less quantity, less junk, 
focus on pure quality, your known ICP and getting them through there quicker. If I can just sum up what you said there, I think it's important to note that like, just because you've got volume, it doesn't mean that you are delivering on your promise to sales. If you are delivering something that is unqualified in like the marketing sense of the word, but also just in the literal sense of the word, they're going to start to notice and that's going to start to undermine that trust that is really important for keeping your job ultimately is that if you can be a true partner with your revenue team to slide over and say, I know this is going to look scary for a minute, but I promise we're doing the right thing. And it also helps in budget talks. If you're delivering fluff at a time when you need to be delivering something that's real, they're going to look and say, we need to cut some fluff. You've got a lot of it. Think about it. You have double digit numbers to acquire paid social or content downloads and then only like 0.001 go to closed one. Then don't waste your money. Focus on quality. It's the equivalence of do we get like the one pair of like $5 shoes or do we go out and get like a really nice pair of Brooks Brothers that's going to run for 10 years? Investing in your ICP, knowing your target audience and then being able to intelligently segment them, bring them in, make that personalization, no more telemarketing. Like you should not be making 8,000 calls in a week. You should not because you can't tell me like, unless there's an extraordinary TAM in your particular vertical I'm unaware of, that's not focused. It's spray and pray and hoping for the best. And it's going to be muddy at worst and alienating for the brand at even worse than that, right? So it's like focusing on quality activities or are we filling the calendar to look busy? Are we looking at things that are going to go to closed one? Or are we just creating numbers that look good for our QBR deck? And for me personally, invest in the long term. (laughs) Do it right. right. So can we dig into that idea about how do you understand what is working? I know you've got this down pat now. You've been doing it for years. Where do you start? (laughs) If you're at a spot where you recognize that you are reporting on these metrics that aren't tied to revenue. First and foremost, you must know your ICP. You must know who buys from you the vertical that they're in, the titles. And you don't even really have to go so far down the persona path because that's fairly sophisticated for most startups. Like we talk a good game in marketing on persona, but really it's more title, revenue bands, industry segmentation. Being educated and literate on that, making sure like both sales and marketing and the leadership team are all on the same page because you could have an executive leader who thinks we're targeting $5 million companies. And then you could have the sales leader who's like, well, our sweet spot is mid-market. And then you could have Someone else who says, no, it's SMB. And then someone who says it's channel or field marketing. The data, i.e. your pipeline report coming, whether it's out of Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever CRM tool you should be using, can show you that. And you can intelligently segment that and say consistently, if you look back over the past 12 or 24 months, with these groups is closing and how long pipeline velocity, how long does it take? Does it take 300 days? to close a 75K deal, then that's probably going to be an issue for you, right? Because it's going to take so much time to move them. Or does it take, you know, 15 days to close a 25K deal or 130 days to close a 500K deal? Like being able to look at it holistically from like that 360 degree angle from top of how long from lead to SQL or lead to meeting to SQL? How many go from leads top of funnel to close one? Like what's the percentage? Is it decreasing over time? Is it increasing over time? It really comes down to marketing operations, sales ops, and rev ops being able to come together, which means you have to reach across the table, right? And bring these people together in the same meeting and make sure you're codifying it 
when we say lead, do you know what that means? When we say campaign, do you know what that means? Are we all agreeing on what it means? When we say SQL, do you agree? Does it SQL to be band qualified or is it just someone who hit a lead number? Who scored up? Is that mm-hmm. automated? Does it require human touch? Like those are the base level things because in order to go to market and have these motions, these complex motions like ABM, account-based marketing and things like that, you have to be able to look at who you're selling to, what closes, the rev bands they're in, the ICP, the titles associated at the contact level role and how long it takes that pipeline velocity. Yeah. That's where I start. If you take those and turn them into a bullet point and you can only answer two out of five, then you have homework to do before you can truly step into that enterprise mentality of like, wow, we're in lockstep. And I'll be honest, the people part of this is the most challenging part. Because I was you- just going to ask. Yes. It's, it's, I think there's a second <laughs> step to this. It's like, you've done your homework. Now you have several audiences to display to. You're going to have a CMO, you're going to have CEO. You're going to have your team. You'll have your peers on the other side. Like there's a lot of people who need to align to everything you just outlined. How does that change? How do you take it forward? Here's where the psychology elements come in. And it's also where being able to, and this is kind of where that more creative mindset definitely comes in, is cater to your audience. Your CEO isn't going to care about the sausage making operationally. You're not going to sit down and talk to them about automating workflows and lead score manipulation cadences and response rates and stuff like that. I'll just add that it's like, you have to be careful almost specifically not to, because I've had CEOs that once they hear it, they want to dig in and you're explaining. Exactly. And then you're having to drag them into the sausage making. And a lot of the times there's the challenge there because sometimes more data is actually dangerous to people who don't operate in that data on the day-to-day and in that efficacy. And so you just have to be mindful, like your C-suite is always going to care about what their board or their investor relations group cares about. When you have those big look backs at the end of the year, what are we always talking about? Usually retention, churn, average deal size, how long it takes to close, where are we losing, where are we winning, right? Like bottom line metrics, that's your C-suite. Your VP level is usually one step down. What programs or things are we doing? And how is that for channel? How is that for partner? How is it for field? How is it for AEs versus SDRs? Your director level, one level down. How are you building and managing those teams at the manager, the associate, or the specialist level? PIs, do you measure them on program over program, quarter over quarter, year over year, like OKRs or KPIs? All of those things should roll up and be attached to whether you're an intern, a specialist, an associate, a manager, a director, a senior director, a head of a VP, an SVP, or a C-suite. Like high level, what is our revenue? That should trickle down so that each and every time you're making changes or like suggesting to sales, we do X instead of Y or Z, that you're saying it's because it's tied to and then roll that metric back up. This does take, I think, a very particular skill because you have to become, and I feel like I mentioned this on every podcast, you become a bit of a UN translator. Then Brazil, the way that we would talk to France is going to be different than China. So like you have to cater how you package up what you're propositioning on changing at an operational organizational level for demand gen and marketing and everything else in that world to your listener. And you have to come in and speak to them in their voice about the things that are going to matter to them. And the same way that any organization would speak to a client about their pain points and what matters for them. So you have to tell that story and it has to be tied to data. That has always been a really worthwhile exercise for me to do is to say, okay, I think I've got this excellent events plan, field marketing plan. What is it? 
now I have these three top level business goals that everybody is trying to map up to. Can I do it? Can I get this event up to one of those goals? Or is that a stretch? Because if it doesn't map up... Your attendance, like attendance. So if you did this last year and the attendees were 25, is it going to be 50? Is it going to be 75? How do you answer that question? Go all the way to the end. How much revenue do you have to make? And then reverse engineer it. So if I need a billion dollars in revenue and I know it takes 135 days to close this and the average deal size is this, then I have to get this many SQLs or opportunities to become this many MQLs. There's a conversion rate through each of these that's tracked in your CRM at a very base level. And then I need to do so many of the MQLs that become meetings and so many of the inquiry or raw leads that become MQLs. And then you go all the way through that, break all of that down, bring up your 12-month calendar. We know July and October, November and December are trash months. So You've got eight months and in those are the big events. How many people attend them? Are the attendees in our core SCP? How many people do you think that you can get from that? How many did you scan last year? It's basically mathematically breaking it down. And that makes it so much easier to deliver on. So what I was hearing you say basically is there's going to be ways that you can get your marketing metrics to tie to revenue. You need to understand what those revenue goals are so that you know what is important to them. And even tying it all the way back to the top of our conversation, saying it in words that matter to them so that they don't come back and push back and say, well, but that's what you're trying to do, not what I'm trying to do. No, no. We all agreed. Yeah, exactly. Like no man is an island in sales and marketing. Yeah. I appreciate that so much. So thank you for that. We have actually approached the lightning round. Are you ready? All right. I'm going to (laughs) try. So first one, what keeps you awake as a growth marketer? Keeps you up at night? Oh, it keeps me up at night. Gosh, cost of acquisition. And I would say microeconomic factors. We hit on that a little bit. And I thought that was really interesting that ultimately what you were saying is that you figured out how to do all of this in a previous recession, in a previous Uh, moment of economic (laughs) uncertainty. What are we calling it? I'm going to use the R word recession because I mean, mathematically speaking, there's early stage intent signs, I guess you could say I mean, I'm hoping that's not the case. Like, may it be a road bump and not a Grand Canyon. Microeconomic, because these are things that perpetually affect us as industries or verticals that you honestly can't even see. Think about the impact logistics and supply chain had from a pandemic. Oh, yeah. And it was all very forced into understanding where the weaknesses were. Yes. You wouldn't think that the weather in Costa Rica would affect the price of lettuce, right? But here you are. These things in a global chain and a global financial situation, mm-hmm. China, et cetera, nothing is separate. Everything is a web that gets pulled one spider web to another, the entire spectrum. Absolutely. Next question. What is a marketing campaign that you will point to over and over again as a great strategy? This is a great question. Does it have to be a place that I worked at or can it? No, anything. Yeah. I'm going to have to say anything that Salesforce and Tableau do. And also I would do a huge shout out for Refine Labs. Like they have an incredible content mechanism with Chris Walker and Cassidy Shields over there. On the outside, it just looks like microphone after microphone and moment after moment of constantly evangelizing and advocating for like this modern demand gen and marketing experience tied to revenue. And it's flawlessly executed. It's just a constant mechanism, which looks so easy from the outside, but you have a microphone in front of you. So you know the production time that goes into that. And I've seen it grow over the years at an enterprise level with Salesforce and then at a smaller 
level with refine. And it all just comes down to consistency, which is key. I love that. Find something that you think is going to work and then do it and do it well consistently. And you can't plant that seed. Like if you start a podcast, you can't just do two or three. You haven't even built your core audience yet. You can't put a seed in the ground and turn around tomorrow and expect a sequoia. That's not how it works. So consistency and discipline and execution and orchestration and both Salesforce and Refine are excel at that. Smart. I like it. Hopefully an easier one. Where is the best place you've traveled to? This one's tough. I would say probably South Africa or actually I would say specifically Mauritius. Mauritius. Okay. Extraordinary location. The situation around that travel was a whole nother podcast we can do on trauma or something. (laughs) Expectation versus reality and the creative side when you're still very creative. But Mauritius, extraordinary culture, beautiful people, amazing souls, and just extraordinary hosts. So an amazing place, well worth the anti-malarial medication and jet lag. Noted. Added to my list. I've been to Morocco, so I can say I've been to Africa, but not to anywhere else. What was your pandemic cliche? And by this, I mean, did you bake sourdough? Did you watch Joe Exotic? I feel like a lot of people had a big life moment on Zoom. Well, I was raising a toddler during the pandemic. So we got very creating lots of fun at home and, and doing full Montessori. But I would say I was one of those detestable folks who, despite extroversion, didn't enjoy that brief introversion period. I say brief, but it was really two and a half years, if I'm being <laughs> honest, where I just focus on enrichment. When you're not distracted with all of the commuting, and I've been remote for 11 years, but even going to on-sites and trade, you know, trade shows how it is, you're constantly on the go. You lose those like deep reading sessions and then even language. So I was one of those people that was like, I'm learning a new language. So I actually started learning Chinese. People are like, oh, who are these people that are like doing all this high level playing guitar and learning language? I'm like, actually, it was a great time because you're uninterrupted. How dare you? How dare you make us all look bad? How dare you make yourself better? (laughs) (laughs) That's really fantastic, though. Is there a phrase in Chinese that you say when you want to impress people or not? And I say that like I have a second language and I hate it when people say, say something in that language. So you don't need to. I was going to say I would be embarrassed to speak Chinese because my regionalism, I have my own regionalism that still interrupts it. And I practiced the other day with someone and they're like, this sounds like New York Chinese. And I'm like, (laughs) what? No, I want it to sound good. Like, I want to make sure that the sounds right. Like, my intonation is still very much a work in progress. But I promise we'll come back for like part two of like end of your wrap up and I'll have like an entire introduction in Chinese. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. I'll hold you to that loosely. Well, thank you so much, Brandy. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Last question. What would you want listeners to take away from this conversation? Oh, yeah. So I would say the success of all of these things, whether you're in B2C, D2C, startup world, you work for a big box like the Amazons of the world, Walmarts of the world is iterative. And you're only as good as that last campaign or that last quarter. So like each time you wrap it up and you think you've got it, microeconomic factors, financial factors, all of these things can take a perfectly color-coded, triplicate-bound program that you have and wreck it to the coals. Really do due diligence and you have to be the person to reach across the aisles to sales and to rev ops and make them see that value because there's so many cliches that come with that chasm, that come with that big gap between sales and market. So you have to show them like you're in it together, like you share revenue goals, 
You're not over there hiding behind inquiries and MQLs and like meetings and stuff like that. Like you're really tied to sourcing revenue into building the company together and your partners, not enemies. So be agile with the conditions that can change, whether it's budget or economic or otherwise. And then just make sure you're proactively staying in lockstep with your sales partners and your channel and your field and your partner marketing people and really just evangelizing for data literacy. And you're pushing for people to be able to measure any investment that we're doing. Because at the end of the day, that's really what's going to matter to finance. And we know finance is really important right now with everything that's going on. And it's going to show that you're doing everything you can to make sure that you're optimizing for like maximum performance. Yeah, fantastic. Solid, solid advice. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your expertise, your experience. If anyone wanted to connect with you, what is the best way to do so? LinkedIn is the easy one now. All social has just been a little wild since the pandemic. The past five years have been a challenge for social. So I would just say, yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love uh, doing referrals, helping people kind of find their passions. And I'm also a member of Chief in New York City. So if you are a VP yourself or a member, like feel free to connect with me there as well. That's specifically for women in leadership for technology. So B-R-A-N-D-E-E-S-A-N-D-E-R-S. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Happy to give advice, be event at 2 a.m. when you're having a breakdown over budget cuts, doing all of those things. But like, I always hold the door open because you want to help people find their next opportunity and surround yourself with other folks who enable you to be your best self and finding ways to just kind of maximize everything that you're doing and growth. Yeah. Yeah. Holding the door open for whoever's next. I love that sentiment. Thanks again so much. And to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to Pros and Content wherever you found us. This season, digital growth and demand gen marketers are sharing how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. You can find us online at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H.com. Thanks. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content. Don't forget to subscribe if you found this episode informative. This season, we're focused on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. Find more episodes wherever you're listening and learn more about uncovering your organization's true audience journey at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.